so if you haven't already noticed, I, I don't look or sound like Muthiazim, so I apologize for that. Um, it might be a disappointment for everyone, but uh, inshallah we'll still try to do our best. Um, you know, Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was appointed to lead, it's not at the same level, but anyway, just to get an idea. Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was appointed to lead prayers when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was in his final illness. And then the daughter of Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Aisha radiallahu anha, repeatedly pleaded with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that please have somebody else do it. Please have somebody else do it. And then why don't you have Umar instead? Abu Bakr is, you know, he, he gets really sad and he cries and he is soft-hearted and he won't really be able to really recite anything. He won't be able to do such a good job. The reason for this, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam obviously didn't accede uh, to the request, but the reason for that is because Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha knew that anybody that saw someone else or whoever they saw in the place of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would be a disappointment. Even if the person was as great as Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, but whenever anybody saw anyone else standing in that place, then they would feel sad due to the absence of the Prophet sallallahu Obviously, anyone else is not going to be able to fill the same role or fill the same shoes. So, um, yeah, with that preface, sorry, I'm here anyway. So, inshallah. <laughs> but we're doing it with the intention of pleasing Allah Ta'ala and studying the book of Allah Ta'ala, which is the greatest action that a person can engage in. So we hope that Allah Ta'ala, inshallah, will put barakah in what we do. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, al-Alim, salatu al-Kareem. So, Mufti Azim left me with um, the ayat that are in Surah Ahzab on the first page of the 22nd Jews. So, I have actually a whole presentation prepared, but unfortunately, the projector is not working. Uh, it's currently gone for repairs, so um, we'll just have to suffice without. But if anybody wants to grab a mushaf from the, um, the shelves, and if you want to follow along, then you're welcome to do so. If not, then if you want to pull up, uh, use your Quran app or a translation of the Quran on your phone and follow along that way, then that's also fine as well. So normally we would have had it projected, but due to the technical difficulties, unfortunately we can't. But um, inshallah, you can try your best to follow along. Either grab a mushaf if you want, a copy of the Quran, or you can pull up your Quran app. Uh, I don't endorse any specific one, but you can just use any. Um, inshallah, you can follow along that way. Okay. So we're starting with ayah number 33 of Surah Ahzab. Allah Ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وقرن في بيوتكن ولا تبرجن تبرج الجاهلية الأولى وأقمنا الصلاة وآتينا الزكاة وأطيعنا الله ورسوله إنما يريد الله ليذهب عنكم الرجس أهل البيت ويطهركم تطهيرا واذكرن ما يتلى في بيوتكن من آيات الله والحكمة إن الله كان لطيفا خبيرا and again, I apologize for the lack of display, but feel free to follow along. Ayah number 33 and 34 of Surah Ahzab, that's Surah number 33. So Ayah number 33, Surah number 33, it's very easy to find, so feel free to follow along. Because um, it helps to just have a visual. Okay, so what the first ayah means? means that, وَقَرُنَّ فِي بُيُوتِكُنْ Allah Ta'ala is addressing the blessed wives of the Prophet So if you recall from last week, the discussion began with um, the discussion began with the address to the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Allah Ta'ala mentioned several things to them. 
And then now Allah Ta'ala goes on with the discussion. So the first thing that Allah mentions is Remain in your homes. So what we'll do right now is we'll translate, then we'll briefly go over an overview of what we're going to talk about, then we'll in more depth go into each point. Remain in your homes. And don't beautify yourself when you go out, nor shall you flaunt yourself in beauty and endorment. Like how people used to do, women used to do in the earlier times. Perform salah, and give your zakat. Then Allah says, Indeed, Allah Ta'ala only wants to remove from you all traces of impurity. Ahl al-Bayt. O people of the family of the Prophet O people of his house. Allah Ta'ala wants to extensively purify you. Okay, so what's the gist of the first ayah? Can anyone summarize it for me? Just in a sentence or so. We don't have it on display, so I'm going to have to rely more on you guys. Said, who can summarize the gist of the first verse for me? Yeah. Good. Good, very good. Okay, so then uh, most of us probably heard him. The people on the live stream, uh, sorry, you probably didn't hear him, but hopefully you can um, just follow along and you can look at the ayah. Ayah number 33, so number 33, you can look at the translation. Okay, but what about the first thing that we mentioned, the first thing in the verse, which is the thing that might maybe raise some eyebrows? Abide in your homes, yeah. Stay and remain in your homes. Okay, so that's something that, um, so that's what the first verse means. Second verse. So remind or remember that which is recited in your homes of the verses of Allah and wisdom. Indeed, Allah Ta'ala is ever settle, all aware. This is a pretty short ayah. The next ayah is pretty long, so we'll discuss these two first. Okay, so now first, um, let's go over a brief overview of what we're going to discuss today. The first thing that we'll discuss is we'll discuss the concept of hijab. Okay, and we'll discuss the various levels of hijab. Okay, so that's our first point of discussion. So right now we're doing an overview, then we'll go into each one, inshallah, in a little bit more detail. Many of us were probably fasting. If you were, then, or even if you weren't, feel free to grab some water, like snacks, or anything you want. If you're eating or drinking in the masjid, then we make niya of i'tikaf. Um, you can even do i'tikaf for an hour, or however long it is that we're here. Feel free to uh, grab some snacks or water or whatever it is. Uh, masjid, mashallah, graciously provided them in the musallis, so um, feel free, inshallah. Um, anyway, the first thing that we'll discuss is levels of hijab. Okay. The second thing that we'll discuss is we'll ask that, so over here the directive is remain in your homes. Now is that specific to the wives of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or is that a general ruling? Does that mean that it's not permissible for women to leave their homes? Okay, so that's the second point. The third point, that Allah Ta'ala in this verse, the first verse that we discussed, addresses the wives of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam by using a specific term. Does anyone remember what the term was? It's kind of subtle, we just went through it pretty fast, so I'm not sure if anyone caught it. Uh, not here, no, you're close though. Allah says, 
It's a term actually that we hear a lot. I'm sure everyone is familiar with it. Ahl al-Bayt. Has anyone heard the term before, Ahl al-Bayt? Okay. So now, and okay, so who uses the term Ahl al-Bayt the most? Anyone? Feel free. The Shias, yeah. The Shias tend to use the term Ahl al-Bayt the most. So what we'll discuss is who Ahl al-Bayt refers to. Okay? So that's our third point of discussion. So number one, levels of hijab, concept of hijab and its various levels. Number two, um, who this was directed at. That's a shorter point. Number three, who the Ahlul Bayt are. And a point that's related to that, a corollary of, a corollary of that, is that what the Shia discuss from this is they say that this shows that the Ahlul Bayt are ma'asum. Right? So we believe in our aqidah that the prophets, the anbiya are ma'asum. In that they're protected from any fault. The Shia also believe that the Ahlul Bayt are ma'asum as well. They say this is the ayah that proves that. Because Allah says, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْزَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَّهِرُكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Allah Ta'ala wants to remove any impurity and extensively purify you. And that means that they're ma'asum, meaning that they're protected from any sin. So that's our fourth point of discussion. And our fifth point of discussion is that we'll also discuss about the authority of hadith. Okay, the legal authority of hadith. So these are our five points of discussion. Uh, we'll see, inshallah, hopefully we'll get through it. And then we'll move on to the next verse, inshallah. Okay, any questions before we proceed? Okay, so the first thing that Allah Ta'ala says is, وَقَرْنَ فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ Remain in your homes. وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَ تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِلِيَةُ الْأُولَىٰ And nor should you go out adorn your, adorning your beauty just how women used to do before. So now, does this mean that it was impermissible for the wives of the Messenger to leave their homes? Was that not allowed for them? Was that forbidden for them or not? Because on one hand, the ayah says that remain in your homes. On the other hand, we see that does anyone ever recall any instance of one of the wives or more leaving their home? Can anyone think of anything like that? Has that ever happened in history? Any of the Aswaj Mutaharat ever leaving their home? Yeah. All of them in general. So at some point or another, we have some instances of them leaving their homes. So based on that, we understand that can you take this ayah um, in a very literal perspective and you know apply that to its full with its full implications? Probably not. Because we do find instances of the wives of the Messenger leaving their homes. right? Not to say it was the norm or the standard, but we do find instances of that. So then what does the ayah mean? So now before we discuss that, let's first talk about some statistics. So I don't mean to paint a dreary picture, but this is just to kind of put things in perspective. So these are from the CDC and also from RAIN, which is uh, one of the leading um, organizations RAIN is Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Okay, so here are just some statistics for us. Okay, not anything I made up. You guys are welcome to check it out yourselves. Okay, number one. Nearly one in five women have experienced, completed, or attempted uh, rape during their lifetime. One in five women. One in, we ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us and, of course, all of our sisters. Number two. One in three female rape victims experience it for the first time, unfortunately, between 11 and 17 years old. One in three. One in eight female rape victims reported that it occurred before age 10, unfortunately. Okay. 
every 68 seconds another American is sexually assaulted. One out of every six American women has been in the victim or an attempt of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. One out of six, that's 14.8%. Uh, completed, 2.8% attempted. About 3% of American men, or one in 33, have experienced, uh, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. This is American men. Okay, so uh, this is kind of grim. I didn't mean to spoil the mood or anything like that. But what we understand from the, oh, one more thing. Uh, this is uh, unfortunate, very unfortunate, very sad. Approximately 70 women commit suicide every day in the U.S. following an act of sexual violence. That means today, 70, yesterday another 70, the day before that another 70. It's a lot of people taking their own lives. Why? Out of trauma that they experienced after uh, being sexually assaulted. Um, yeah, subhanAllah. 70 women every single day. So anyway, so what we understand from this is that there's another pandemic that we're facing. This isn't something necessarily new to this era, but it's something that um, basically we've been facing for a long time. And that is the pandemic of, unfortunately, sexual violence. Okay, so that's one thing. And then this problem is so pervasive that we see even people who are very high profile, be it people who are in high profile religious positions or people who are in a high profile political or economic, whatever it is, right? People that have, amongst some of the most prominent people in the world, be it politicians, various rich people, whatever, sometimes these problems even persist with them. Yes, Allah Ta'ala protect us. And now what happens is that a person's entire reputation or life can crumble basically within minutes. So um, it's very sad, but then this is unfor the unfortunate nature of the reality that we live in. So now we see that this is basically another pandemic that not just we're currently facing, but we've been facing for a very long time. And then this type of stuff has come to the fore, especially in the recent years with the Me Too movement, right? So then more and more women came, front, came in the front and they said that, um, I've also experienced some sort of sexual violence. So this problem, by this, we've seen that this problem is extremely pervasive. Now the question is that, what do we do about it? Because we hear this and then we say that, oh man, this is really bad. And then everybody that hears it says it's really bad. But then, is there any solution for it? So now, the way that Islam works is that Islam recognizes that there might be a certain thing that's wrong. But then Allah Ta'ala knows that if we were just to stop people right at that thing, prohibit just that thing, then that would basically lead to nothing. That wouldn't lead to any change. Why? Because if you allow somebody to get to every single step, or take every step that leads to that thing and then stop them right at the door and say, no, no, you can't come in, although you've gotten all the way to the door, then it's hard for people to resist. So that's why when in the, the methodology of the sharia and the approach of the sharia is that whenever Allah Ta'ala prohibits one thing, He also prohibits all the steps that lead up to it. So um, we see, I mean, this is something that we see in many things. Um, I'm sure Muftazi might have mentioned before that Allah Ta'ala doesn't just say that don't commit zina, Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا Allah doesn't say, وَلَا تَزْنُوا He says, وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا Don't even get close to it. That means anything that might lead up to it, any steps are also prohibited. Just like zina is prohibited. Why? Because Allah realizes that if you're taking steps towards it, then inevitably it can happen. Now, someone might think that, well, are you saying that everybody is perverted in nature and everybody is thinking like that? Nope, no one's saying that. 
No one's saying that everybody is perverted in nature and everybody has a tendency to do that. No one's saying that at all. But what we are saying is that the possibility exists that some people might engage in that. Right? So keep in mind, these are two very different statements. One statement is saying that somebody might contend that what's the purpose for all these restrictions? You can't talk to the opposite gender, you have to stay away from them, you have to be separate. Um, are, you gonna, are you implying that I'm trying to do something or I'm thinking about something? Nope, no one's implying that whatsoever. But what are we saying? The propensity exists that the action might occur, maybe not necessarily from you, we ask that Allah protect us, but from someone. And now is that something that anyone can deny? No one can deny that, right? That propensity definitely exists for something to occur. Not, but we're not saying any specific individual, but it can occur. And then if anyone is going to question that, then these statistics are there to refute them, right? We see in the world around us, unfortunately, that this thing is extremely pervasive. So now based on that, due to the methodology of the Sharia, that we don't just stop right at that thing. We stop many steps before that so that there's no possibility of the thing ever occurring. Due to that, we understand that there's various levels of hijab, right? So the whole purpose of hijab is to prevent any sort of improper interaction between the opposite gender, right? But then there's certain levels to it. So the first and foremost level of hijab, this was our first point of discussion, is that men and women remain separated, okay? So that they don't stay in the same place. Now, if men and women are not staying in the same place, um, they're not really interacting, then is there any potential for something wrong to occur? There's no potential for anything wrong to occur, right? So now the way that um, the society was generally structured then, and many societies are, is that the man, the man was the main breadwinner of the family. So then now, due to that, there wasn't really much of a need for women to go outside, right? So we're not saying, we're not barring any extenuating circumstances, maybe in some cases there might be a need. Right? But we're saying, generally speaking, the man is going to be working. So, well, where should women remain then? The first level of hijab is separation. So if women remain in their homes, if men are the ones who are going to be outside, then what's achieved? Separation. So is there any possibility for something to occur if there's no intermingling? No, there's no possibility for anything to occur. Right? So that's the first level of hijab. But then we ask, is that practical for people to uphold in all situations at all times? for women to just remain in the homes and never go out. No, it's not practical. In fact, we see that from the Sharia that there is allowance for it, and even the blessed wives of the Messenger they went out of their house sometimes too. So then now Allah Ta'ala says, the first thing Allah says is remain in your homes. So from that we understand that the, uh, maybe the default ruling, or maybe the most desired ruling is that people, that women in particular, stay in their homes. And what is the meaning of that? Meaning of that is that there shouldn't be intermingling. There should be separation of genders. So that's the first level of hijab. Now, Allah knows that that's not always going to be possible. So right after that, right after saying, remain in your homes, Allah says, well, if you are going to go out, then make sure you don't go out in a very beautified, adorned manner. Okay, so Allah says, وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَا تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِلِيَةِ الْأُولَى So, yes, we understand that I mean, basically, you're not supposed to go out. Well, I mean, you're supposed to try to remain separate as much as possible. And you can do that by staying in your homes. If you do have to go out, then make sure you don't do so in a very alluring manner. In a way, don't dress in a way that's enticing to the opposite gender. For obvious reasons. Okay, so now from this, from this very next portion of the verse, we understand that it's not 
impermissible for women to go out of the homes. We say, yes, the most desired ruling is that they remain separated. They can do so by staying in their homes. But if they need to go out, then how do they go out? Make sure you don't adorn yourself. Make sure you don't beautify yourself in a way that's going to be enticing to the opposite gender. The first level of hijab is what? Anyone? Separation. The second level of hijab that we understood from this verse is? Yeah, okay. So basically, uh, don't adorn yourself, beautify yourself, don't flaunt your beauty. So essentially, what does it mean? What can we derive from that? Cover up, right? Stay modest, cover up, right? So the second level of hijab is that if you are going out, then make sure you cover up, right? So that's level two of hijab. That's not level one, level two. Now, level three, it's not mentioned in this verse, but it's mentioned in other verses. Level three is what? And maybe two and three you can switch up. I mean, the order is not necessarily um, so hard and fast. The other level of hijab, after women cover up, is that even though they're covered up, what are you still not supposed to do? You're still not supposed to look, right? Because if a person is not looking at the opposite gender, is there anything to be enticed by? I mean, not really. Maybe, but I mean, generally, no. Because if a person can't see anything, then I mean, they're, they're not really going to... There's very little possibility of fitna. So the third love of hijab is not to look at the opposite gender. And this applies just as much for men. I mean, it applies for men first and foremost, and then it also applies for women as well. Because Allah Ta'ala in Surah An-Nur mentions it for both people. Allah says, Tell the believing men to lower their gazes. Okay, so that's level three. Okay, and then Tell the believing women to also lower their gazes. Right, so these are two different um, yeah, measures that are taken that we're not supposed to look at the opposite gender, neither men nor women. So this is the third level of hijab. So now if we think about this, so these are three levels of hijab. Now on top of that, are there any additional rulings of hijab? So complete separation, lowering the gaze, covering yourself up, not displaying your beauty, and then um, any other additional rulings of hijab that you guys can remember. What about speaking? Is it permissible to speak to the opposite gender? This was mentioned in the previous verse, I think might have been covered last week. It's permissible to speak. Allah Ta'ala says, فَلَا تَخْضَعْنَ بِالْقَوْلِ فَيَطْمَعَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٌ وَقُلْنَ قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا it's permissible to speak, but not in an enticing, alluring, seductive manner. Right? So Allah Ta'ala tells the wives of the Prophet that, okay, if you're going to speak, okay, you can speak properly, but don't do so, don't lower your voice, don't speak in a soft, alluring manner. Right? So now is it so that's an additional ruling of hijab. What else is there? Is it permissible for any man to be with uh, be alone with the non-mahram. Uh, non is that permissible? Absolutely not. Right? So this applies in many different scenarios, but basically, a man and a woman who are unmarried, I mean, who are not married to one another, um, basically, I mean, besides for close relatives, are not allowed to be alone together. Right? So these are basically a few, uh, five main rulings for hijab. Now, if you think about this, um, do you think it'll be very possible for improper interaction, impropriety to occur if people are following these measures? No. Okay, so we saw that there's another pandemic 
that exists, unfortunately. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect all of us and our sisters especially. But then now we understand that, well, Islam gives solutions to it, right? And solutions are basically that remain separated from the opposite gender. If you need to go out, then you need to be in the same area, then you should, women should cover up. Men should also be modest as well. And then if you're in the area, same area, same, occupying the same space, even if women are covered up, then men should still lower their gaze. And so should women as well. Don't ever be alone with the non, uh, with the non-mahram. And then if you need to speak, then don't do so in an enticing manner. Right? Okay, so these are five measures that the Sharia has prescribed in order to uphold hijab, in order to avoid any sort of impropriety. Now, the question is that to what extent is a person allowed to speak with the non-mahram? Is it permissible? Is it not permissible? We understood that it is permissible, but what is not permissible? Soft talking, yeah. Basically to speak in any sort of enticing manner. Right? So now the key thing, the key thing, the hijab, is that a person should not be informal with the opposite gender. Right? So this is a golden rule that we should maybe just etch in our notepads and our phones. Right? So make sure that the key rule to hijab is that we are not informal with the opposite gender. Now sometimes you have people who are, mashallah, very practicing within their deen, and they might be speaking to somebody of the opposite gender. They're joking, they're laughing, um, they're being informal. So do you think that is consistent with the rules of hijab or inconsistent? It's inconsistent, right? So then that's the, basically the key thing. So the first thing that we discussed, Allah Ta'ala says, وَقَرْنَ فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَ تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِرِيَةِ الْأُولَى Remain in your homes and do not flaunt your beauty like how women used to do in the earlier times. Now the question is that, we discussed basically what that means. We discussed how it is permissible for women to exit the homes, but that is the default ruling in order, separation basically. Now the question is that, are these rulings specific for the mothers of the believers, the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, Azwaj al-Mutahharat, or are they general? So it's really hard for a person to deny that the Quran says remain in your homes because it explicitly says exactly that. But now the question is that, so some people like to sidestep this by saying that, well, this is obviously addressed to the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the mother, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, so it's not applicable to us. So, well, what do you guys think of this reasoning? Is that true? Is it not true? Because good, what he's saying is that it's they're held to such a high standard. It applies to them. It applies to them first and foremost, but primarily because they are muqtada for everyone else. They're the example for all other women. So then, if they're doing something, then is it for other women to observe and follow, or for other women to cast aside? Obviously, it's for other women to observe and follow. Because now, possibility of fitna, does it exist more with normal people or more with the wives of the Messenger Obviously, it exists more with normal people. So then if they're following these very strict measures, then shouldn't normal people also follow those measures as well? Yeah. Okay, so then the second point of discussion we said is that is it uh, specific for the Ummahat al-Mu'minin? And the answer was no. Another thing to add to that is the verse mentions five rulings. Remain in your homes. If you are to go out, then make sure you don't flaunt your beauty, how women used to do in the previous times. And then number three, number four. Perform prayer. 
give your zakah. And obey Allah and His Messenger. Now, these last three rulings of the five, are they specific for the wives of the Messenger or are they for everybody? Is it just that the wives of the Messenger, they're required to pray and give zakat and everyone else is exempted? Obviously not. So then does it make sense, given that all these are mentioned in the same context, these five rulings, that we say, well, two of them are specific, the remaining three are general. Does that seem like it's academically fair? Probably not. So the easiest thing would be to do what? To say that all five of the rulings are applicable generally. Okay, so what we discussed so far, the first two points of discussion, that we said that staying at home, what does that mean? And what are the various levels of hijab? So that's one thing that we discussed. Number two, we discussed whether this is general to, I'm uh, sorry, whether it's specific to the wives of the messenger, or is it general to everybody? So that's our second point of discussion. Does anyone remember what the third thing is that we're going to discuss? Say it again. Okay, so I mean, yeah, that's part of the ayah, but then I said there's five main talking points that we have today. Okay, you guys didn't know that there was going to be a pop quiz. <laughs> so, what, say it again? No, we already discussed that. I said the next point that we haven't yet discussed. Okay. Good. Okay. So, the, so if we go back to the ayah, I wish I could display it, but unfortunately, as I said, we're experiencing technical difficulties. So please, uh, those of us who are joining us now, feel free to look at it on your Quran app or grab a mushaf from the shelf, and you can follow along that way. Surah 33, ayah number 33. Okay. Anyway, so Allah Ta'ala says, after mentioning these five rulings for the mothers of the believers, Indeed, Allah Ta'ala only wants to remove all traces of impurity from you. O Ahlul Bayt, people of the house. And Okay, so now two questions that surround this. The first question is, who are the Ahlul Bayt? Number two, does this mean the Ahlul Bayt are ma'asum? Okay, and what does ma'asum mean? Sinless, innocent, yeah, free of sin. So those are the two questions regarding this ayah. So now, um, okay. So as we said, there is a certain group that contends that Ahlul Bayt only refers to Okay, what does household mean? Ahlul Bayt means his household, but then what does that refer to? The direct flame, what does that mean? Okay, so basically regarding this ayah, there is a hadith as well. This hadith is in Tirmidhi, it's in Musnad Ahmad as well. The gist of the hadith is basically this, that the Prophet ﷺ was in the house of Umm Salama radiallahu anha, his blessed wife radiallahu anha. And then this verse was revealed. And then Allah, uh, sorry, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, he called his daughter, who was Fatima radiallahu anha, and then her husband, who was and then the two children, Hassan and Hussein. So how many people? Four people. So this is called Hadithul Kisa. So the Prophet called these four people after the ayah was revealed. The ayah says, indeed, Allah Ta'ala only wants to remove any traces of impurity and Allah wants to purify you. So the Prophet called these four people. And then he put this sheet over them. So they were all under this sheet or they're all under this shawl. 
And then the Prophet said, Allahumma ha'ulai ahlu bayti wa khasati fa'adhib anhum al-rirsa wa tahhirhum tatahira Allahumma ha'ulai ahlu bayti wa khasati fa'adhib anhum al-rirsa wa tahhirhum tatahira So the Prophet said, Oh Allah, this, this is my ahlu bayt. This is my family. So the exact same thing that was mentioned in the ayah, so remove any trace of impurity and purify them. Okay, so from this, what does this tell us? Who does Ahlul Bayt refer to? Well, if you want to be specific, Hassan, Hussein, Ali, and Fatima, radiallahu anhum. That's what Ahlul Bayt refers to. The Shia take this hadith, they capitalize on it, although the Shia don't accept hadith in general, but for whatever reason, they accept this hadith. So um, we'll speak about that, inshallah, in our next point. That's the next thing. Okay, so the Shia, they say that this, see, the, even the hadith says that it only refers to these four people. So by saying that, that means that there's a certain group of people that are excluded. So who do you think would be excluded based on their argument? Exactly, the wives are excluded. Okay, so then this is an argument that they apply from the hadith. So that's one source. The other thing is that they also apply this argument from the Arabic of the verse itself. Okay, so this is a little bit more nuanced. If you don't understand Arabic, don't worry about it whatsoever. Um, but there is an Arabic Essentials program coming up, and there is a one-year program, so you can think about that. But at this point, if you don't understand Arabic, no problem. Right? So those of you who understand, great. Those of you who don't understand, that's fine too. So I would have displayed it because and showed you how this works, but unfortunately, um, we can't do that. So uh, again, feel free to follow along in the Mus'haf or on your phone in your app. Allah says, وَقَرْنَ فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ so qarna is referring to, Laith, you're my Arabic friend, you can tell me. Qarna is directed to who? Yeah. Who is that directed at? The blessed wives of the Prophet So then in Arabic, there's different forms of pronouns. So this pronoun that's being used in both of these words is for females, right? That's for females. That's also a pronoun for females. So all these are pronouns that are being used for, it's the feminine pronoun, it's being used for females. So we see again and again and again in this verse, Allah Ta'ala is referring to who? Who is he addressing? The wives, right? But then, now this is where it gets a bit tricky. Allah says after that, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ and then, kum So, kum and kunna are two different words. Kunna refers to females. Kum refers to a group of people, specifically what type of people? Okay, okay that's actually going to come, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to be very literal about it, then it refers to just what? Yeah, okay. It refers to just males. Okay, yes, by extension, it can refer to females as well, but right now we're being super literal. It refers to males. Now, okay, even if you didn't understand the Arabic, no problem. At least you can understand what we're talking about right now. That Allah refers to females, 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 females. Then whenever, then right as soon as Allah Ta'ala talks about removing impurity and purifying you, the pronoun is changed. And now it refers to, it's the male pronoun. Okay, does everyone understand that? So there is a shift in the pronoun. Even if you don't understand what the pronouns are, no problem. At least we understand as much as that there was a shift. So the Shias say that the purpose of the shift is, who can help me? No, 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 that's what it refers to, but what's the purpose of the shift? 
Mm, okay, close. You're close. Yeah. Okay, you're you're very close. I mean, that basically is what I want, but I just want it phrased a little bit differently. It's just I'm looking for one word. Exclusion. Okay. So they say the purpose of shifting the pronoun is excluding the wives of the Messenger So what does Ahlul Bayt mean? Okay, yes, it means household, but we're talking a little bit beyond that. It refers to? Specific jest, Ali, Fatima, Hassan, Hussein, doesn't refer to anyone else. In fact, the pronouns were changed in order to exclude the wives. Wives, 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 wives. Then all of a sudden, something different. So the purpose is to exclude the wives. Okay, so that's what the argument is. So one argument that they say is from the Arabic of the verse. The second one is from the Hadith. And what does the Hadith say? What did the Prophet ﷺ do? He put the shawl on the, the four individuals from his family, and he said, this is my family. This is my family. Right? So then they say, see, even the Hadith says so as well. So these, both of these things show that the wives are excluded. Now let's take a step back before we discuss this. Right, does everyone understand the objection? Yeah. So now before we discuss it, let's take a step back and let's try to understand why do they even contend such a thing? Does anyone know? Good. Okay, yeah. So the Shia dislike Aisha radiallahu anha and they dislike basically the Sahaba in general besides for a handful of them. Of course, besides with Ahlul Bayt and just a few more, but basically besides that, they dislike the Sahaba. One of their main gripes with the Sahaba is that who did the Sahaba pretty much unanimously, or we can say unanimously, elect to be the Khalifa after the Prophet left this world? That means everybody had a vendetta against Ali radiallahu anhu, because everybody was overstepping the authority of Ali radiallahu anhu. That's not what I'm saying, that's what they say. Does everyone understand? That means all the Sahaba are bad, according to them, because all of them overstepped the authority of Ali, because who is most entitled to be the Khalifa? It was Ali, according to them. Right? So then now, and then who prevented him from being the Khalifa? Sahaba, because they elected somebody else. That means that, according to them, the Sahaba in general are bad. Right? So then this is what they say. So now, based on that, it's important. Okay, so by the way, we're mentioning this because as Muslims who are trying to understand the Qur'an, who are trying to learn more about Adin, it's important for us to first of all understand what the verse is saying, understand objections that are posed against the verse, because if somebody were just to pose this objection to us without us having studied anything, it would be confusing. The third thing is that, so we have to, one, fortify our own knowledge and our own faith, and then after that, it's important to understand the causes of difference. Now, this isn't to vilify anyone else. It's not to vilify anyone else to incite any sort of um, you know, negative sentiments against anyone. It's not for that whatsoever, right? And then we shouldn't do that. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ says that, uh, Be nice to everybody, right? That's what we always do. We be nice to everybody, but then that doesn't mean that we don't still understand the causes of differences. Do we understand? Does that make sense? Okay, so this is the objection. Now, the answer, okay? Well, is anybody stumped by the objection? No? Okay, great. We don't need to discuss it then. We'll just move on. <laughs> okay. Should we? Inshallah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the question is that, again, to just reiterate the question, 
does this uh, does this exclude the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because there's a shift in pronoun and specifically the hadith didn't include uh, well any of the wives in underneath that shawl underneath that sheet. So the answer obviously is no and no. Okay, alhamdulillah, we fortified our knowledge. We can move on. <laughs> okay, so now actually, when somebody were, to, if somebody quotes that hadith, and they stop over there, which is what most people do, especially the Shia, this is what they do. But then that would be just presenting half the story, because there's a second part to the hadith too. Does anyone recall where this event, where this incident occurred? In the house of Um Salama radiyallahu anha. Exactly. Now, so this occurred over here. Now, Um Salama radiyallahu anha. She was the wife of the Messenger وسلم, She said, after she saw this happen in her house, she was actually praying at the time. That's what the hadith says. The hadith says, um, uh, Um Salama is the one that narrates it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, وَأَنَوْ صَلِّي فِي الْحُجْرَةِ فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ Okay, so say that Um Salama radiyallahu anhu is saying that I was praying at the time. Anyway, so then the Prophet ﷺ gathered these four family members and then he put them under the kisa and then he said that, oh Allah, these are my, this is my family. So what do you think the first reaction of Um Salama was after seeing this? She said, what about me? So that's what she said. So, um, so the exact words are... Um, Yeah, so she said, what about me? So she was actually, she was in sort of the courtyard. She wasn't in the house. And she was praying at the time. So um, was she sort of even available at the time? Was she in the same place? Was she available? No, she was praying. Okay, but then she heard this happen. So then immediately she says, البيت, I peeked in the house and I said, what about me? Am I, am I part of it too? And then, so the Prophet said, Okay, literally it means you are on good. You already, so what does that mean? It means you already have that khayr there. Inniki ila khayr. You already, you already, you already have khayr. You already have goodness. This is part of the hadith. As I said, the hadith is in Musnad Ahmad. It's in Tirmidhi as well. Okay, you already have that goodness. So what does that mean? That means that, okay, if I ask anybody, okay, tell me who your family is. Well, you say, well, if you're married, you'll say my wife, my kids. If you're not married, you'll say my mom, my dad, okay, and uh, my siblings, right? That's your family. Now, when anyone mentions this nuclear family unit, is every single person a blood relative? No. Somebody says my wife and my kids. Is your wife your blood relative? Probably not. Okay, and then now, what about if you say your mom and your dad? Are your mom and dad rel blood relatives? They are. Okay, maybe some of especially Desi families sometimes, but then, <laughs> no, not, I mean, obviously they're far enough that they can get married. Um, that most of the time, are they blood relatives? No. Okay, so now despite that, we're still saying that this is my family, right? So does anyone, I mean, any normal person ever regard their wife or their mother for their father not to be part of their family? No. So now let's talk about this verse. So Allah Ta'ala addresses the wives of the Messenger again and again and again. So kunna. So basically wives, 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 wives. All of a sudden there's a shift. Inna ma yudid Allahu You, masculine. 
So now what's the purpose of this? The hadith explains that, saying that the, it's nonsensical to say that the wives are not included in that. Obviously, the whole discussion that precedes that, like maybe five, six verses prior, all is just addressing who? The wives of the Messenger, وسلم, and Now, this shift in pronoun usage is not to exclude the wives, but rather it is to include others beyond the wives as well. Right? Because right after this verse 2, just goes back to the wives again. Again, female. Right? So then, same thing. So you have wives, 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 suddenly a shift, then wives, wives, wives again. So now we see that, can, does it make sense, given the whole context of the entire page, just addressing the wives and the Messenger وسلم, to say somehow they're not included in this? That doesn't make any sense. So rather, the purpose of the shift in pronoun is to not exclude them, but rather to include others. Okay, do we understand? So others are part of Ahlul Bayt. That's why when Umm Salama radiallahu said, oh, what about me? What did the Prophet say? Of course. Why is that even a question? Do we understand that? Okay, so now that's the objection of the Shia, and we talked about that. Now, just to sort of, uh, you know, fortify that a little bit more, Allah Ta'ala says that this is something that the leading muhadith of the, perhaps this day and age, Shaykh Muhammad Awam, I heard from him. May Allah Ta'ala preserve his life, and may Allah Ta'ala allow us to benefit more from him. And uh, specifically, I request everyone's du'as that I can benefit more from him as well. Allah, he mentioned this verse. In case you want to note this down, this is in Surah Ali Imran. That's Surah number 3. This is verse number 121. Okay, so basically, Allah Ta'ala in this surah talks about Badr, but also talks about Uhud. And he talks about how the Prophet Sallallahu basically it's a lot of different factors related to the battles, in particular Uhud. Now, um, the battles in the second and third year of Hijrah. Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi You left from the house of your family. You're positioning the believers for, for the fight. Right? You're strategically placing people for the fight. But where did you leave from? Where did you come from? With Ghadawta Min? Anybody? Hafiz Marzuk? Inshallah. Say Inshallah. Inshallah. With Ghadawta Min? Ahlika. From your family. But where was he? Does anyone know? He was in the house of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. Okay, so then what he mentioned is that Ahl is somebody that not only is part of the family of somebody, but somebody that also follows the person in their ideals as well. Okay, that's why Nuh alayhi salam, Allah Ta'ala promised Nuh alayhi salam that um, basically that he'll be saved and everybody, everybody that believes from your family, they'll also be saved as well from the flood. Okay, now, Nuh was on the ark and then there was this crazy raging storm and then his son wasn't there and his son said I'll just probably just I'll just climb some mountain I'll be safe over there and then his son was basically didn't board the ship and then basically they're separated by waves and then that was the end of him so the prophet sorry Nuh the prophet Nuh was very distraught by this. Said uh, that, um, uh, Inna wa'adak al-haqq wa anta ahkum al-hakimin. 
Oh Allah, my son, he's part of my family too, and your promise is true, and you promise that you're going to save me and everybody from my family, and um, but he's, he's, he's part of my family, and now he doesn't seem like he's being saved. And the response of Allah Ta'ala was, قَالَ يَا نُوحُ إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحٍ in the Qira of Imam Kisai, innahu amila ghayra salih. Right? Ya nuhu innahu laysa min He's not from your family. Right? So we understand that the word ahl doesn't just mean a relative, but the word ahl also means, or a family member. It also means somebody that not just follows a person in terms of family association, but also in terms of something else, which is uh, belief or, yeah, belief, practice, ideals, yeah, anything like that. Right? So somebody that follows in terms of those things as well. Nuh son, was he a blood relative? Of course. But then did he follow Nuh in terms of belief, in terms of practice, ideals? No. So was he part of the Ahl of Nuh He wasn't part of the Ahl. That's why Allah Ta'ala says, قَالَ يَا نُوحُ إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ Okay, so we understand Ahl is somebody that follows in terms of belief and practice. Now, going back to what we were talking about. The, Allah Ta'ala tells the Prophet Sallallahu Anyone remember the word? Ahlika. You left from your family. And who was that family? That was Aisha radiallahu anha. So then over here, Allah Ta'ala is confirming that she also followed the Prophet not just in family association, but also in terms of belief, practice, ideals. Do we understand that? Okay. So does it make any sense for somebody to say that the wives of a, person, a person's wife is not part of their family? That doesn't make any sense. Ahl al-Bayt, can it refer to not the wives of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa That doesn't make sense. So they're definitely included. Innaki ila khayr. Right? But then on top of that, you have some other family members as well, like son, son-in-law, sorry, daughter, son-in-law, uh, grandchildren. So they're also part of the family. But that's not to exclude anyone. Okay, so that was which point of discussion? How, yeah. The Sahaba in general? Uh, not the Sahaba in general, because remember two things. One thing is uh, belief and practice. Okay, we'll just lump them into one, but also family association. Yeah, so those two things. Right? Not to say the Sahaba, rest of the Sahaba were not, they're not good or anything like that. They were, of course, but then they're just not part of the Ahl, not everybody's part of Ahlul Bayt because not everybody's a family member of the Prophet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so Allah Ta'ala says your family woman amana ma'ak and also those that believe with along with you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so that's one thing. Now the question is so that was our third point of discussion of the five points of discussion, depending on how far we get. Okay, the first one was can anyone remind me? Don't leave your house. Okay, we discussed what that means. Stay in your homes, right? And then we discussed the levels of hijab. Second point, it was a, sort of a sh- shorter, smaller thing. Anyone? Say it again. Oh, okay, that's part of it, the levels of hijab. Um, but we discussed, is this specific for the wives or for everybody? So that was our second discussion point. Third discussion point, does anyone know what it was? 
Ahlul Bayt, what is it referred to and what is the objection of the Shias and the response to that, okay? So in brief, the objection of the Shias was that there are two things. There's a hadith that shows that the wives are not included and there's also the Arabic of the ayah itself, the shift in pronoun usage. And then we discussed both of those things. Now the fourth thing. The fourth thing is that the Shia contend that this ayah means that إِنَّمَا يُدِيدُ اللَّهُ الْيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْسَ أَهْلِ الْبَيْتِ That uh, that the Ahlul Bayt are ma'asum. What does ma'asum mean again? Innocent, sinless, yeah. Sorry? Incapable? Incapable of sin, yeah, exactly. Yeah, incapable of sin. So then now that's what they contend. Now, okay, so why is this? Well, the Shia belief basically in a nutshell is that, well, we believe that the prophets are sinless, they're ma'asum. But then what about everybody else? Would we say that they're sinless? Not necessarily, no, we don't say that. Okay, so now what about the Shia? They say that the prophets are sinless, the Ahlul Bayt as well, and also the Imams, the 12 Imams who are part of the Ahlul Bayt, um, they're also sinless as well, right? They're also masum, right? And then, so they're at a status equivalent to or higher than, in some cases, than the prophets. So this is the belief of the Shia. And one of the ways that they bolster disbelief is through this ayah. Right? That Allah Ta'ala wants to purify you. Okay, so now in response to that, now this is getting a little bit academic, I apologize. Um, does anyone have this objection? Or can we just move on? Just move on. Okay, so in response to this, um, okay, so let's just mention one or two quick things. And we won't go too much into this. Um, okay, first of all, in Arabic, there's no, no one that says that... Um, means isma. There's no one that says that, right? So from a, um, a linguistic perspective, that doesn't make sense. Number two, um, if you are to contend this, then it's going to end up in a, perhaps a broader problem. Because we discussed what the Shia belief is in regards to the Sahaba. Can anyone remind me what it is? A negative perspective, exactly. So that's a Shia belief in regards to the Sahaba. Now, there's a verse, this is in Surah Al-Anfal, verse number 11, in case you're noting this down. Allah Ta'ala says, in regards to the Sahaba who participate in Badr, shaytan. Do those, if anyone knows the ayah, do those, any of those words sound familiar? shaytan. Well, it's similar, yeah. And then وَيُطَهِرَكُمْ Doesn't that sound similar? Right, so purifying you and removing from you any impurity or defilement of shaytan. Does that sound familiar? Pretty much the same thing, right? But now over here, who is it being directed at? Sahaba in general, right? In particular, those that were there at the time of Badr, right? But it's, yeah, it's uh, much more general. So now if somebody were, contend, were to contend that the first verse means isma means that they're ma'asum, then what would a person be forced to conclude? The Sahaba in general are ma'asum. And is that something that the Shia would conclude? Definitely not. So then does that make sense to say that? No. And so then this is just basically so that we understand our own beliefs. Do we believe that the Sahaba are ma'asum? No, definitely not. We don't believe that. We believe that about the Anbiya. Right? Obviously we have hold the Sahaba in highest regard, right? But that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't mean that they're ma'asum. Okay, so that's just a quick sort of academic uh, question and objection. Nothing, inshallah, too important if you weren't, uh, if it's, you know, if anyone didn't understand it, no, no problem. Okay.
we talked about four different uh, talking points so far. Does anyone remember what the fifth talking point was? Okay, if you have your app or you have your mushaf, you can go to ayah number 34. Okay, so Allah Ta'ala is addressing the wives of the Messenger وسلم, saying that uh, be mindful, remember or remind others of that which is recited in your homes. Number one, of the verses of Allah. Number two, of wisdom. Indeed, Allah is, of course, all subtle, uh, uh, I mean, perceptive of every small thing, all aware. Okay, so now, does anyone remember what the fifth talking point was? Right, there you go. Who said it? Yeah, the legal authority of hadith. So let's try to understand what this verse means. Remember or re uh, remind others that which is recited in your homes of the verses of Allah. Okay, so is there any question about that, what the verses of Allah refer to? Min ayatillah. No question, I think we all understand that. Wal hikmah, and wisdom. So what does that mean? It means a hadith, right? Because now how many forms of wahi revelation are there? There's two. There's hikmah, I'm sorry, there's the Qur'an, which is obviously we know the Qur'an, what it is, and then there's the sunnah. And the sunnah is the explanation of the Qur'an. Okay, now this is something that's extremely important in our day and age. Why? Because there's a general tendency of people to question the authority of the sunnah. In fact, if you discuss this with any sort of group that has kind of some uh, different belief, be it Muslims who are modernist or liberals or feminists or anything like that, or Shia for that matter too, you ask them what they think about hadith. By and large, everyone will kind of respond with the same thing. That, uh, yeah, I don't really believe, I don't really believe hadith. I don't really think they're authentic. So this is a common response to the, the question that's posed. So we find a common trend between all of these groups that generally speaking, they don't accept the authority of hadith. Now the question is that, well, why? It's not just, it's basically too common to seem coincidental that all these groups don't accept the authority of hadith. So does anyone know what the reason might be? Is it just a huge coincidence or is there some common theme? Common motive, I mean. Yeah, Mukul. Okay, yeah, that's definitely, yeah, basically that's the main thing. Does anyone want to add on to that? Yeah, these. Okay, yeah, Omar? Yeah, basically, yeah, so yeah, what you guys said is right. So now, if a person has a certain agenda, or certain beliefs that they want to impose on the Qur'an. Now, if you accept the authority of the Sunnah, then basically the Sunnah is what confines the Qur'an to what we can call a traditional perspective. If we were to remove the Sunnah, Hadith entirely, I'm using the terms interchangeably right now, um, if you were to remove Hadith entirely, then if you're creative enough, you can make the Qur'an mean whatever you want it to mean. Okay? Not to say that that's right, but then that's exactly what happens. Right? So now people, you'll, they'll cite a certain verse, or maybe they advocate a certain thing. And then you say, oh, how can you do that? Because the Qur'an says the opposite thing. You say, oh, that's your interpretation of the Qur'an. I believe the verse means this. So then now, how can you refute that? You can't, because well, you'll say, well, well, I think it means this. And they'll say, well, yeah, that's very nice that you think that, but I don't believe you. Right? And they have their own. So where is your perspective on the ayah coming from? Most likely from hadith, because by and large, hadith is the bayan of the Qur'an, the explanation of the Qur'an. 
Now, if somebody were to remove that entirely, then the Qur'an is, I mean, if a person is created enough, the Qur'an is, in some places, I mean, many places, it can be not so specific. Kind of a little bit ambiguous. So that leaves room for people to go any direction that they want to go with it. So they say that we're Muslim, we follow the Qur'an, but yet they have all these, as Brother Umar told us, an agenda or other practices that they want to engage in. And now, what's the one thing that's going to prevent them from doing so? Accepting the authority of hadith, because the hadith will confine the interpretation of the Qur'an. Of course, difference of opinion does exist. If you don't believe me, you can ask the deen intensive students. So <laughs> difference of opinion exists. But it's within a narrow scope. Right? It's not something that is totally like in left field. Right? So then that's basically where you get the sunnah from. The sunnah explains the Qur'an. That's why some scholars, I think it's Imam Shafi who says, Al-Kitabu ahwaju ila sunnati min sunnati ila al-kitab. That the Qur'an is in more need of the sunnah than the sunnah is of the Qur'an. And now what does that mean? Well, it means that the Qur'an itself doesn't usually give details. Where do we find the details? The details are found in the sunnah. Right? The sunnah itself is very detailed. Right? So um, that itself, I mean, a person can read it and maybe not be so confused by if they were to have a proper understanding and put all the hadith together. But just the Qur'an itself, oftentimes, it doesn't give us the whole picture. Right? You just have a verse, Abasa wa He frowned and he turned away. If you don't read that with any context, then will you understand or will you be confused? You'll be very confused. Right? Who frowned? Who turned away? Why did he turn away? What happened? Anja'ahu al-a'ma, the blind man. Who's the blind man? I never heard about any blind man before. Um, so it'll just be very confusing. So what do you need in order to contextualize this? You need a hadith. You need the sunnah. Exactly. Right? So now over here we understand that Allah Ta'ala is mentioning two different forms of revelation. Remember those verses, or sorry, I'm sorry, what is recited in your homes from the verses of Allah and one more thing, and that second thing is hikmah, right? The sunnah. So why is it important that we emphasize this? Number one, in the current uh, sort of, uh, you know, milieu that we're living in, this is something that actually we, maybe we take it for granted. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but then not everybody takes it for granted. In fact, a lot of people question it and deny it. So it's important that we understand where it's coming from because inevitably we will probably meet somebody unless, um, I mean, we don't already know somebody who questions or denies the authority of the sunnah. And then now, doesn't, shouldn't we understand where it comes from, right? And how the sunnah is a main part of the Qur'an, a main part of our deen, I mean, right? So now, if a person were to deny the sunnah, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this because it is related to the verse, so inshallah, just bear with me. So now, the first thing is, actually, before we get into this entirely, so the verse begins by saying, before we get into the legal authority of the sunnah, begins by saying what? What is the very first word of the, of the ayah? Wadhkurna. And wadhkurna is directed at who? The wives of the Prophet ﷺ. What does it mean? It means remind. Right? Remember yourself and also remind others. Okay? Now, if the Prophet ﷺ is in his house with his wife, عنها, then who else is there most of the time? Most of the time, no one else, because is it a public setting or a private setting? Private setting. And every now and then, there might be a visitor here or there, but then I'm talking about generally speaking, who is it going to be? No one else. Right? So now Allah Ta'ala is revealing verses to the Prophet And who is the witness to this? That and also the Prophet is saying things, saying the hadith, and then who, who else is witness to this? 
I'm just the wife, just whichever wife it is in the house that he's in, no one else is there for the most part, right? Of course, there are situations in which other people will be there, visitors and things like that, relatives, but I mean, for the most part, no one else is there. Okay, so now, if there is sort of a closed interaction between two people, and then you tell the other person, go and announce to everybody what happened. So there's a couple of things that we understand from this. Number one, so some people, as we are discussing some of the objections of the Shia, do they hold the wives of the Prophet in high regard or, or not so much? No, they don't. Right? So now, if the wives of the Prophet were actually people who are untrustworthy, then would Allah Ta'ala ever entrust them with such a great responsibility? No, definitely not. So how can a person contend that if this is what the verse is saying? Right? That remind others, remember yourself and remind others that which is recited in your homes. No one else is witness to that. If the wives were not were untrustworthy, then essentially our whole deen would be potentially distorted. Right? So this shows the great trust that Allah Ta'ala is placing on the wives of the Messenger So is there any room for anyone who has any sort of confidence in their deen to contend that the wives are untrustworthy? No. We also understand how the Prophet was a very such uh, an amazing individual that um, his whole life was an open book. Okay, so now, if, um, uh, okay, so if you want to know about someone, the person that you really need to ask to know whether they're a genuine individual or not is not a person that they see in passing in the masjid. You say, oh, you sat next to him in the tafsir there? Okay, you must know him really well. Tell me about this guy. I'm thinking of him about, I'm thinking about him for my daughter for marriage, so you, you sat next to him that one day, right? So tell me about him. Is that what you would say? No, that's not the person you're going to ask. Who are you going to ask? Family members of the person. And who's the person that's with someone else the most? A spouse. So if you really want to know about somebody, their character, how they are as an individual, you need to ask their spouse, right? So then, now somebody might be very pious outside, and then you ask the wife, like, oh man, your husband... Or you ask, you tell the husband, you tell the husband, oh, your wife, oh, actually, probably shouldn't do that. So somebody tells the wife <laughs> that your husband, he's so pious. She's like, oh, yeah, you don't even know, forget it. Um, let's talk about the weather instead. Right? So, <laughs> so right, this is, we're laughing because we know that it's not something that's so far-fetched. Right? This is something that can happen. But now, what if the wives are the ones that are, and uh, can anybody imagine? They make an announcement today. They tell their wives, they tell their children that, okay, whatever you see me do from today onwards, please announce it to the whole world. That's what I want you to do. Is anyone going to do that? May Allah forgive us, but probably no. No one's going to do that, right? But what is Allah Ta'ala telling the wives of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Whatever you see from him, go ahead, announce it. Right? So then this is the beauty of the Messenger. Indeed, you have enormous, immense character. Right? Okay, so again, that's just, uh, this is another point, a small little tidbit about this ayah. Um, yeah, okay. So let's briefly talk about the authority of hadith, and then we'll just end in a couple of minutes uh, with, uh, what's time is Salat al Aisha? 10.10? Oh, I thought it was 10.20. Um, okay, so I had a whole presentation prepared for this part, but uh, okay, we'll just mention a few things very quickly. Okay, so point number one. Um, Allah Ta'ala has two different forms of revelation that he sent down, the Qur'an and the Sunnah. That's what we discussed. Now, if somebody were to deny the Sunnah, then that would basically be very problematic for the individual. Why? 
for a couple of reasons. The Quran itself is replete with verses that mention the authority of the Sunnah. There was a scholar from in Pakistan, he was actually assassinated, Dr. Habibullah Mukhtar, he wrote a whole book. He read the Quran a couple of times with deep, like deeply looking at the verses and trying to find any verse that talks, any verse of the Quran in the ayah that talks about the authority of the Sunnah. So he started writing these ayat down while he was reading the Quran. And then he compiled a whole book that's, I think, 150, 200 pages. Just, it's just a list of verses. So now, basically, we understand that you can't avoid it. Almost every single page or more than that of the Qur'an in some way or another attest to the authority of the Sunnah. So if somebody is to deny the Sunnah, they would be essentially denying the Qur'an, right? There was a woman who came to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu. She said that, I heard that بَلَغَنِي أَنَّكَ تَلْعَنُ الْوَاشِمَاتِ وَالْمُسْتَوْشِمَاتِ that I heard that you curse women who have tattoos and women who are tattoo artists and things like that. Now, just a side point, if somebody has tattoos, it doesn't mean that uh, they're like, you know, like damned or anything like that. What it means basically is that this was a sin, but just like with any sin, if somebody repents from a sin, then it's as if they have no sin. Allah forgives. Allah Ta'ala forgives everything. So if somebody does have a tattoo, no problem. We just ask Allah for forgiveness, inshallah will forgive us. It doesn't mean that the people themselves, we condemn them or anything like that. Right? So just something to know. Anyway, so then she told Abdullah bin Masood, he's the scholar of the Sahaba, I heard that you cursed these people. Al-Washimat wal-Mustawshimat. And then he said, yeah. And then she said that, well, I read the Quran, I didn't find anything like that. And then he said, If you really read the Quran, you would have found it. And then she said, I read it, I didn't find it. It's not there in the Quran. And then Abdullah bin Mas'ud said, didn't you read that verse? She's like, oh yeah, I guess I did. And then what does it mean? Whatever the messenger tells you or gives you, you have to take it, do it. Whatever he prohibits you from, stay away from it. So if you really read the Quran, you would have found this. What we understand from that is that even if something is not explicitly mentioned in the Quran at all, then if the messenger mentions it, then that's sufficient. That's enough for it to be a part of our deen. Does everyone understand that? Right? Okay. So from this, there's verses of the Quran. We'll just mention maybe one example of each one. There's some, so he has a whole 200-page book on this, and there's so many more things as well. It's called As-Sunnatun Nabawiya wa Bayanu Makanatiha fi al Quran al-Kareem. Yeah, it's kind of a long title. Um, there's a long story about how, alhamdulillah, I was able to obtain a copy of the book. It took years, though, but uh, somebody is, we don't have time right now, but inshallah, somebody's interested, you can ask me afterwards. Right? May Allah ta'ala reward the, those who facilitate for it. Anyway, um, uh, let's see. Okay, so there's verses of the Quran that explicitly mention the authority of the Sunnah. There's verses of the Qur'an that, number two, implicitly mention the authority of the Sunnah. And there are verses of the Qur'an that cannot possibly be understood without the Sunnah. So based on this, we see that the Qur'an is replete with mention of the Sunnah. Okay, let's mention just one verse of each one. One or two. Allah Ta'ala says, اللَّهَ الرَّسُولِ Obey Allah and obey the Messenger. So from that, we understand that we're supposed to do whatever the Messenger tells us, so that means that we have to follow hadith, believe in hadith. Okay, that's number one. فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أو يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Those that go against the command of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, let them beware, lest some sort of painful punishment befall them. 
right? So from this, may Allah protect us. So from this, we see the verses that explicitly, number one, explicitly mention the authority of the sunnah. Number two, the verses that implicitly mention the authority of the sunnah. Okay? Now, let me mention one or two quick examples. Allah Ta'ala says, In the first page of the second juz, Allah Ta'ala talks about how the Qibla was changed from Jerusalem to, well, the Qibla was changed and they're now to face the Kaaba in Mecca. Okay? So now the first thing, Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبْلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مَنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولِ إِلَى آخِرِهِ That we did not appoint the Qibla that you used to follow, that you used to face, except so that we could, and the discussion goes on to talk about how it's a test for everybody. Right? So now, is there any verse in the Qur'an that says that you should face Jerusalem in prayer? Nope. At least in the 30 juz that we probably heard in Ramadan that we're reading right now, not there. And maybe somebody might find it in the 31st, 32nd, but nothing in the 30 juz of the Qur'an. There's no verse that says that you face Jerusalem. But yet Allah says that turn your face towards Masjid al-Haram. What does that mean? They're facing something else before. And Allah says, We only appointed the qibla that you were facing before in order to basically test people and stuff. So Allah is saying, we only appointed that qibla for a certain reason. But yet it's not mentioned in the Qur'an. So where did the appointment come from? It came from the sunnah. Yet Allah is equating it with that which He appointed, right? He established. Okay? There's um, one quick example of this. Actually, not really quick. Um, which I really wanted to mention, but I don't know, due to time, I'll give everybody a few minutes to do wudu. Um, inshallah, in some later instance, we can try to continue. If anyone is, inshallah, interested, you're welcome to, and she'll meet me afterwards. Jazakumul khairan, we ask Allah Ta'ala accept from us. Just a few quick announcements. One announcement is that um, the Eid Salah, so there'll be two Eid Salahs over here, one at 6 a.m., and basically, Fajr will be at 5 a.m., so essentially, um, in order to ensure that you have a spot, just try to come for Fajr, and then it's going to be at 6 a.m. Um, the other one is, and the other Eid Salah will be at, um, can anyone verify for me, is it 10 a.m.? 10? Okay, so that's the second Eid Salah. So that's one announcement. Another announcement is that um, the Arabic intensive, Arabic essentials, will be beginning on July 26th which is also the beginning of the, I mean, basically the Alam program as well. So, and that's a three-week program. So if anyone is interested, you're welcome to look into that. And then we ask Allah Ta'ala accept from all us. We'll just make a quick dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi Sayyidina Muhammad barika salam. Rabbana dhalamna anfusana wa illam tawfir lana wa tarhamna ala nakunanna minu khasirin. Allahumma alimna ma yinfa'ana wa zidna anma. ربنا تقبل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتبع علينا يا مولانا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله عن النبي الكريم برحمتك الرحمن الرحيم إزاكم أخي Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar 
أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة 
حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله أقيم صفوفكم معتدلوا الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين يا أيها النبي قل لأزواجك إن كنتن تردن الحياة الدنيا وزينتها إن تردن الحياة الدنيا وزينتها فتعالين فتعالين أمتعكن وأسرحكن سراحا جميلا وإن كنتن تردن الله ورسوله والدار الآخرة فإن الله أعد للمحسنات منكن أجرا عظيما يا نساء النبي من يات منكن بفاحشه مبينه بفاحشه مبينه يضاعف لها العذاب ضعفين وكان ذلك على الله يسيرا ومن يقنت منكن لله ورسوله وتعمل صالحا وتعمل صالحا نؤتها اجرها مرتين واعتدنا واعتدنا لها رزقا كريما يا نساء النبي لستنك أحد من النساء إن اتقيتن فلا تخضعن بالقول فيطمع الذي في قلبه مرض فلا تخضعن بالقول فيطمع الذي في قلبه مرض وقلن قولا معروفا 
وقرن في بيوتكن ولا تبرجن تبرج الجاهلية الأولى وأقمنا الصلاة وآتينا الزكاة وأطعنا الله ورسوله إنما يريد الله ليذهب عنكم الرجس أهل البيت ويطهركم تطهيرا واذكرن ما يتلى في بيوتكن من آيات الله والحكمة إن الله كان لطيفا خبيرا سمع الله لمن حمده الله 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 أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين إن المسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات والقانتين والقانتات والقانتين والقانتات والصادقين والصادقات والصابرين والصابرات والصابرين والصابرات والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا 
وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا أن يكون لهم الخيرة من أمرهم ومن يعص الله ورسوله فقد ضل ضلالا مبينا سمع الله لمن حمده الله 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 لمن حمده الله 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 أكبر الله سمع الله لمن حمده الله
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Just a reminder, inshallah, both the gates, Swift, Swift Gate and North Avenue Gate will be closing at 11 p.m. We humbly request all the brothers to leave before that so that the gates can close, inshallah. Jazakallah khairah.